this is Got Marketing, a fad-free, fluff-free, no-nonsense podcast for marketers looking to work smarter. I'm your host, Mia Feilman, a marketing strategist with over two decades of experience and an entrepreneur. I'm tired of marketers telling you what you want to hear. Instead, I tell you what you need to hear. During the show, I chat with creatives and strategists about all the aspects of marketing, but especially marketing campaigns. Unpacking and dissecting marketing campaigns is what I do for fun. Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, the marketing education platform where marketers and entrepreneurs go to upskill. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Got Marketing Show. I'm your host, Mia Feilman, and I have been dying to have this conversation, and I'm so glad that the day is finally here. Today on the show, we are going to talk about creative strategy and creativity. Now, fun fact, I am a creative strategist, but no one knows what that is, so I sort of default to marketing strategist because more people understand what that is. But today I want to explain to you what creative strategy is because it will blow your mind, but also why it's so important in your business and what a creative strategist does. So to have this mind-blowing chat with you today, I have invited my dear friend, Katie Emsley. Now, I just want to tell you a little bit about our relationship because this is such a good story. So I started working with Katie 12 years ago now in a regional town called Toowoomba where I had an agency and I hired Katie as our in-house graphic designer. And so for the last 12 years, I have worked on and off with Katie on so many different projects. And now she is our go-to designer for all of Campaign Del Mar's campaigns. And after 12 years, I think we've gotten pretty good at working together. Katie is so good at reading my mind. And I think I've become quite good at making sure that I brief Katie well. So it is this just beautiful friendship, business partnership, that I'm just so, so proud of. Welcome to the Got Marketing Show, Katie. I'm so happy to be here, Mia. That was a beautiful introduction. I absolutely love Mia for just those listening. Mia actually was the first person to hire me ever as a graphic designer. And so she, I will be forever grateful, Mia, to you for seeing the potential in me and not being afraid to take a chance on a junior designer back in those early days, 12 years ago. That's just crazy to think about, but look where we are now. So much potential. Since then, you have worked in the creative industry for over a decade as an art director, designer, and marketing manager. So totally you can give me all the credit you like for spotting talent, but really it's it's you. Your superpower is really being able to bring ideas to life visually and solve problems through visual design and creative strategy. And you are so good at it. Oh, thank you. It's it's so fun to literally get paid to be creative. It's very challenging as we'll we'll talk about, you know, but it's it's great to be able to do it. I agree. I think that like some days I kind of go, I can't believe I get paid to come up with ideas. That's literally <laughs> um, what I do. Yeah. So good. 
It's, it's great. Okay, so when we're talking about creativity, we are not talking about your ability to paint, draw, sketch, because I cannot do any of those things. What we're really talking about in the context of marketing is being able to come up with creative ideas, creative solutions. So first question for you, Katie, why is creativity important for businesses? Oh my goodness. So I've heard you say this a few times and I couldn't agree more, but creative ideas win. You're competing as a business with so many other people, so many other voices, and creativity is a way to stand out amongst all of the other things that are happening around you. And so in order to cut through all of the noise, you really have to come up with something that is new and original and you know something that, that really stands out and grabs attention. Exactly. That's so true. So then how is creativity different from creative strategy? And I'm hoping you can come up with something articulate <laughs> about how to describe creative strategy because it is difficult to define that. Yeah. So I think creativity is more, lots of people have ideas, right? So like, you know, it could be when you're walking through the mall and you see something that you're like, oh, I could improve that or they should do this, they should do that but it's just a fleeting thought. So people can have creative ideas, but creative strategy is where you actually filter those ideas through, I have a little formula, but through a formula that actually guides you towards a specific goal. So think of creativity in general as an expression and creative strategy is expression with the aim of achieving a specific goal. So they're kind of together, but different. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. That's exactly what it is. It's like creativity, but with boundaries, creativity with purpose and outcomes. So really it is the art and the science of business and marketing coming together. Absolutely. Absolutely. The best of both worlds. (laughs) Okay. So what does a creative strategist do day to day? What does that look like? Oh my goodness. I think the quickest way to say it is to solve problems. So, but effect, like solving a problem, not a math equation, but we're talking about abstract problems. This can go from, I work in branding. So I do a lot of brand identity development and the problem with brand identity, the problem that we're trying to solve is how do we visually represent who you are as a business? And that answer could mean a lot of different things. And that answer could be a bunch of different things, but that's where creative strategy comes in because strategy is choosing just as much choosing what you don't do as it is choosing what you do. And so, you know, being a creative strategist involves not only the ideas generated behind solving a problem, but actually coming up with the solutions to solving the problem and making those solutions come to life. And so I have a little formula that I kind of use when I'm thinking strategically, but also creatively. So the definition for creativity, the most widely known one is that it needs to be novel and useful. It's interesting because something can be novel, it can be new. And I think a lot of people can kind of stop there and they really fall short because if it's new, 
but it's not actually useful, what benefit does it have to anyone? What does it, you know, what benefit does it have to, to your customers, your consumers, whoever it is that you're, you're targeting? But I've also added a third layer in there. So yes, it needs to be novel. It needs to be useful, but it also needs to be disruptively familiar. And let me tell you what mm. I mean by disruptively familiar. So you want to be disruptive with creativity because it draws attention. So, you know, novelty is new, original. Uh, disruptive is something that really, really stands out, you know, like an explosion. But if you're too disruptive, it can actually be quite jarring to people and off-putting. And so there needs to be some layer of familiarity when you're being disruptive as well. So I love the email that you sent out this morning with the highlight, the remarkable that tell me, can you tell me a little bit about that campaign? And then I can tell you what I, I loved about it, just looking at it and how it fits those novel, useful and disruptive. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this campaign so much. So just for a bit of context, I sent an email this morning talking about how campaigns are where marketing and advocacy meet. Campaigns aren't just for moving product. They're also for changing people's minds and changing perceptions and like starting a movement. And the example that I used was the highlighter brand Stabilo. And what they did was they found these black and white photos in history and they highlighted the single woman in the photo and talked about her role in history, which has been completely overlooked. So in one example, it's Katherine Johnson, the NASA mathematician who was actually responsible for the calculations that resulted in Apollo 11's safe return to Earth, but she didn't get any credit for it. <laughs> and you should see this photo. Like there's literally... 80 dudes and this one woman in the back of the room. And I just love how Stabilo is talking about how we need to focus on women's role in history so that, you know, for future generations, girls believe that they can achieve the same or better outcomes as their male counterparts. And I just loved, loved, loved that campaign. It's so, so good. It's novel in that it's original. There's, I haven't ever seen another campaign like this. And it's disruptive in a familiar way because you've got Stabilo highlighters. And like, what's more familiar than a yellow highlighter? Like everybody has seen a yellow highlighter. Everybody knows immediately, oh, highlight, draw attention here. And what I love about the visual aspect of the campaign is that there's a lot of negative space. So they haven't crowded it with a bunch of colors and it's not super vibrant, but it is disruptive because you have a highlighter. I'll describe the image. You have a highlighter at the very top right corner and a bunch of white space below the highlighter. And then one single highlighted line that's drawn all the way down into this old black and white photo that highlights Katherine Johnson. And it's incredible. It's so focused, but unique and disruptive and useful. So it's useful to the person that you are intending to receive the message, right? They actually find the information useful. They find the communication useful. And I think where brands go wrong sometimes is they filter their usefulness through the wrong filters, or they don't filter the usefulness. They don't check in with their audiences, or they, you know, they try and they, they miss. So yeah, I, I absolutely loved that campaign. I just had to mention it. Yeah. 
And I think that that's really the role of the creative strategist is, you know, you can imagine them in an agency and this has been me in an agency environment where we have like our really creative, you know, creative directors and artistic directors throwing around all these amazing ideas. And then it's me in the room being the naysayer that's like, hey guys, this is actually not going to achieve the business objectives. This is not going to drive leads, awareness, sales. Like this is creativity for the sake of creativity. It is a very disruptive idea. It's a very novel idea, but it's actually not particularly going to move the business forward in terms of commercial interests. But also one of the other things that I think a creative strategist does, not one of many things that we do, but that all creative ideas are insight driven. We actually start by going out there and understanding the intended audience and exactly what they're feeling, what they're thinking. And before we have a single brainstorming session or a single ideation session, it's really about getting right in the weeds and becoming customer fanatics. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, your strategy has to be designed through the filter of something. Like the strategy itself has to be pointed towards a specific goal. And that goal should be to communicate with the people you're actually trying to communicate to. And so if you start there and filter everything else through that, create your strategic boundaries, your creative boundaries with that insight and goal in mind, it's going to be so much easier to achieve what you're actually trying to do. So true. I say this all the time that I think that our customers hold all the answers to all of our marketing challenges. Like literally, if I'm unsure and I feel like something might be too risky or too out there, or it just might not resonate, the simple solution is to pick up the damn phone and chat to a customer and go, hey, what do you think about this? How does this sit with you? What do you, what do you, and honestly, like they're right there. You just have to ask them. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think more people don't do that? Hmm. Oh, okay. How much time do we have? They think it's hard. Thinks, oh, I need to do market research. I need to do a focus group. I need to do a market research survey. I don't know what questions to ask in the survey. Market research is expensive. I wouldn't know the first thing about facilitating a focus group. You don't need to do any of that. You just need to pick up the phone and chat to five customers. And once you've chatted to five, maybe chat to another five and have you know, 20 minute deep interviews with ideal customers and just listen and look out for patterns that emerge between what they say. It's, I I think that we, we make it more difficult than we need to. The other thing is, is that it's the steaming pile of vegetables side of marketing. It's not fun. It's not exciting. It's not creating fun Canva graphics. It's not posting TikTok videos. It is the behind the scenes, deep strategic work that people are just like, ah, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun doing deep interviews with customers. Yay. What a good time. However, will substantially save you time, money, and all of those things. So that's probably the second reason. And then the third reason, which few people admit, is that they actually don't want to hear the answers. Because it's terrifying, right? Yeah. Right? Like what if I do pick up the phone and chat to a customer 
and I've already built this product. I've already designed this offer. It's not selling though, you know, but I've invested time in the landing page and in the lead magnet and in the email funnels and in all the social media posts. And I pick up the phone to the customer and the customer tells me, I just, it's it's not resonating. I don't need it. I don't want it. And then I think that there's a little bit of like duck and cover. (laughs) If I don't ask anyone, then I never have to face the fact that this is potentially fundamentally flawed. That's amazing. I think that's what actually led me into creative strategy is the third point that you mentioned. I would have clients and customers come to me wanting me to design things to sell a product that was fundamentally flawed or to sell a service that was fundamentally flawed. And so I would have to keep asking questions because in order for me to visually communicate something, I need to understand the strategy behind it and then add you know, the creativity on top of it. And it was amazing to me how many people lacked the strategic side of it. It's like they had an idea and then just ran with it. And Mm. you're someone who can run with an idea because you've been strategizing ideas for 20 years. So it's almost like by the time the idea gets in your head, it's already gone through your preconditioned filters that are just wired into you at this point. But yeah, I think, I think that's fantastic. And I love your analogy of the vegetables of, of doing the hard work first because if you eat well, you're a, you actually enjoy life more because you're able to function and you're able to you know do what you want to do. It's the same with creative strategy. If you do the hard work at the beginning, actually building out the campaigns and coming up with the ideas of how to visually communicate it is so much more fun because you have clarity and you're not fighting with yourself the entire time wondering, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? Now, ultimately, it is an educated guess marketing. And so some things will and some things won't. But if you've done the groundwork beforehand, it makes the process more effective and more enjoyable, frankly. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So one of my favorite quotes in the whole world is from a ex Navy SEAL called Jocko Willink. And he says, discipline equals freedom. Now just need to sit with that for a minute and go, what? (laughs) But think about it. Like if I eat well five days a week and go and exercise three to five times a week, do I really feel guilty about having one piece of chocolate cake? Of course not. It, I've got the freedom to to have that completely guilt-free and not worry about it because 80% of the time I'm doing the right thing. Same deal with your marketing. If you build your brand on strategic fundamental principles, you regularly check in with customers, sense check your ideas, then you've got the freedom to experiment and take creative risks and try something new because it's all based on strategic foundations and not just like bad guesses. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Gut Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, a marketing education platform for entrepreneurs. Master the fundamentals of marketing, nail your email marketing strategy, or join my signature program, Campaign Classroom, and learn how to create killer marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice. Nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect accountability, a supportive community, and to walk away with practical, real-world marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. 
Okay, so I'm sure there are people listening to us going, this is all very nice, ladies, loving loving this chat. However, I am not creative. Never been creative, failed drama, do not play an instrument, can't draw a stick figure. This is not applicable to me because I'm not a creative. What do you have to say to that, Katie? I say that's baloney. So if you, it's it's totally a myth. People, I hear this all the time, like, oh, I'm just not creative. And usually what they mean is I can't draw. I can't, mm. I can't sing. I'm not a musician. And those are, you know, creative aspects. But creativity scientifically is basically divergent thinking. So the ability to think in many different directions, not just thinking, you know, like one block stacked on top of the other in a neat row. That's called linear thinking. Divergent thinking is being able to allow your mind to go in a bunch of different directions. Now, if you are a business owner, the fact that you started a business means that you think divergently. It means that you have the potential to look at one thing and see multiple avenues and areas and, you know, connect dots that other people may not see. That's why you started a business, because you saw the potential in something. So throw that out the door. Being creative is not your ability to draw. I'm not a fine artist. I'm a digital designer. I do graphic design. I'm not a musician. I can't play an instrument, but I am very creative. The way that I think is very divergently. I think about multiple things. And if you have started a business or if you're working in a marketing department of a business, I guarantee you that you think divergently. Therefore, you are creative. Mm, Yes, there's some tough love right there. So I completely understand where people are coming from. So I did a commerce degree where I studied economics and statistics and finance and then a couple of marketing subjects. And I eventually majored in marketing. But back when I did my degree, marketing was a lot of like Porter's Five Forces and, you know, SWOT analysis and, a lot of frameworks, analytical frameworks. And then I started working in brand management roles, which are the antithesis of creativity. Literally what you do in brand management is outsource all of your creativity. So you write briefs to your creative partners, so your agencies and your creative consultants, and then you sit there and you're the person with the money and you go, nah, nah that's not going to work. Nah. And you're the constant like naysayer, constantly looking at the data and, you know, knocking back creative ideas from creative types. And so I did that for 10 years, right? I was a suit. I was a suit as the suits get. Okay. And then I started a strategic marketing agency, which is where you came to join us. And yeah, we, needed to come up with creative ideas for our clients. And so all of a sudden I had to lean in to that and I loved it. And I got very good at it because I had the analytical side, the data driven insight side and, you know, all, all of that strategic side. And so it was just a matter of giving myself space and giving myself permission to call myself a creative. And just like you, I can't, I, I can't draw a stick figure. I can sort of sing, cannot play a musical instrument, but I consider myself to be highly creative. And I see that play out in how I play with my kids, in the 
dishes that I create. I love coming up with dishes. And so I think it's really a please, you know, get rid of the titles that you think that we have and accept that you can absolutely be creative and that it is a muscle that you can grow. And over the last 10 years of my career, I have increasingly got better and better and better at tapping into my creativity. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely an, a muscle that you can exercise and, you know, it may feel a bit clunky at first when you're trying to think creatively, but it also really requires you to be brave and courageous and just try something new. If it's out of your comfort zone, it's going to feel a bit clunky. It doesn't mean you're not capable of it though. Totally. All right. So how do you get into a creative state because you come up with brand ideas, campaign ideas, you know, you're also a photographer, all sorts of visual arts, designer. So how do you tap into your creativity? Yeah. So I think that one of my favorite things to tell people is that, and we may have mentioned it before, but creativity thrives within boundaries. So there is nothing that will drive me more insane than someone being like, super vague about their actual goal and then wanting me to essentially strategize the whole visual aspect of it without knowing and being informed of why are we doing this? So you've probably heard before Simon Sinek starts with the, you know, start with why. And, you know, it's, it's kind of overused because everybody hears it, but it's so important. So first of all, I get very clear on why? What is the goal that we're actually trying to achieve? And then from there, I can tell you how I start. So I usually start by doing some mind mapping. So that's where I'll do like word associations. I'll get one word or one idea in the center of a piece of paper. And then I am just, I let loose for like 10, 15 minutes and I draw a line and then add a word that's associated with the one in the center. And then I just allow myself to go crazy wherever and it's a non-filtered process. So in a brainstorming process, you don't filter your ideas before you say them. You allow the creativity to come out first. And then afterwards, you go over it with the analytical mind and you get to choose from the ideas. So the first part is getting the ideas out. And there's so many. You would be so surprised if you actually do this without limiting yourself. I guarantee you, you can write 10 to 15 ideas on a piece of paper you know, 11 of those may be terrible, but two of them may be incredible. And so that's what I do initially to start a process. Now, if I get stuck, this happens a lot. I am constantly having to design and think critically. And sometimes I'm just staring at the screen and I just wide eyes, nothing is going through my brain. (laughs) And so I just stop. And I literally walk away from whatever it is that I'm trying to work on. And I go and do something completely opposite to whatever I was just trying to work on. So not work related. I work from home. So I literally, I'll go do some dishes. I will fold laundry. I will go for a walk. I'll do anything that breaks me away from what it was that I was focusing on. And I find that usually while I'm doing the dishes or while I'm doing, you know, taking a walk, I'll have an idea and all I need is the one and then I can start mind mapping and coming up with the, with different ideas. Oh, that's so good. It's interesting how like your process is different to mine, but when you look at them at the core, they are very similar. So 
I want to introduce everyone to the concept of the executive mode network and the default mode network. These are the two modes in your brain. So the executive mode network is when you are sitting at your desk and you've got your Trello or your Asana open and you are task focused and you are like working through your to-do list and you're ticking things off and you are time tracking and you are like working to a deadline and working to a budget and you are getting shit done. Go you. You are not going to have a single great creative idea in that network ever. Never have I had a great marketing idea at that time. So the default mode network is the complete opposite. Exactly like you said, you are folding laundry, you are in the backyard you know, with your kids, with the hose, and you are playing silly bugger games, or you are in a headstand in yoga, and you are thinking about absolutely nothing else other than I please don't let me fall in front of this entire class, when the genuinely great marketing ideas pop into your brain because you have switched off the executive mode network. And I've worked with high-performing creative teams before and they look like they are asleep at their desks. They are mindlessly flicking through comics, scrolling like photography libraries. They're pressing stress balls. They literally look like they are doing nothing. And this, you know, would absolutely drive account directors to, you know, to fury, but that was how they would channel their default mode network. So I've said this before, but me starting my day every day with outside exercise and not starting work until 11 a.m. is actually an essential business task that I do. That is that is actually essential to growing my business because I'm not going to get any good ideas in my office. But also like you, before I go and try to tap into the default mode network, before I go out and do a headstand, I do need to apply that constraint, which is the brief, (laughs) you know, and go, okay, what is the problem we're trying to solve? What are the objectives? What are we working with in terms of budget, in terms of timelines? And, you know, reframe the problem so that it's ready for me to shut down the computer, go outside. And then as I'm cooking dinner, bang, the magic happens. So true. Yes. Okay, so we're running out of time, but I thought what we could do is just maybe just discuss two examples of campaigns. Both are really creative, but one I think is a success and one that I think is not and discuss why. So the first one is a sunglass brand called Ace and Tate. So what did they do? So Ace and Tate, they brought, they were, they were trying to advertise sunglasses in a very clever way. So they have all of these really close up shots of eyes, people who are like obviously in the sun and their eyes are squinted. And I think they did a beautiful job of including a lot of diversity. So they've got uh, people from all different walks of life and ages, but unfortunately it's not 
instantly obvious what it is that they're trying to communicate. So it really takes some digging to understand the campaign. And from a, you know, advertising and marketing perspective, you don't want that. You don't want people to not understand what it is you're trying to communicate without some digging. So I think it is very creative. And I think that, you know, they've done a really good job of making it uh, unique and novel. But I do think it misses the mark a bit in terms of, you know, actually communicating sunglasses. Yeah. And they used out of home media, so posters and billboards to market a sunglass brand but not feature a single pair of sunglasses in the creative to show what they were trying to do is almost like the got milk campaign, which is like deprivation marketing. So if you don't have sunglasses, you will be squinting. And so they had a whole heap of people squinting and that's good. I I get that. However, I don't know who Ace and Tate are. They're not a recognizable brand. And so not featuring a single pair of sunglasses in the creative in an out of home media where it's so fleeting. I think it's just left people scratching their heads. I agree. I agree. Cool. All right. What about the Burger King moldy whopper? Oh yes. This one was a goodie. So the, the ad is a, it's like cinematic shot of this Whopper burger and they take it from all of these different angles. And it's got this beautiful, like, uh, I don't know, is it, is it like opera music? It's so dramatic. Mm. Very, very like regal. I don't know that a burger can feel regal, but they've done a good job with it. And they follow the burger from many different angles. And it's actually a time lapse video. And so over the course, it shows the burger and it says, this is a Whopper burger on day one. And then it slowly, slowly pans around the burger and shows you something that's meant to be quite grotesque, but is actually a fascinating with the high resolution footage. But they show the burger getting moldy and decaying and slouching down. And at the very end, it says something along the lines of, this is what happens with no artificial preservatives. And so basically they're coming, it's, it's, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's a savage ad. It's amazing because they're coming, they're knocking against McDonald's who is notoriously known for having burgers that maintain their shape for like months, years, I think someone had preserved a McDonald's burger under a glass. And there's just something very unsettling about that. And so they use this technique of almost anti-marketing in terms of being like, hey, look at our product. It's going to decay in 30 days, but that's a good thing. And I think it really worked because, you know, Burger King and McDonald's are both so well-known and it was obvious what it was they were trying to do. And I loved that. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it works because it's purposeful. It speaks to a proof point, which is that we don't use preservatives in our products, which I think is a real insight-driven campaign idea because I had assumed that they did. And it's like, oh, wow, we went out and spoke to people and they said to us, well, of course Burger King uses preservatives because McDonald's uses preservatives. Because they're direct competitors, surely Burger King also uses preservatives. And so that was a real aha moment for their creative strategist. And they went, we need to knock this on the head. How can we do this that's going to really ruffle some feathers. And exactly to your point, it works in the Burger King example, because we all know what a Whopper looks like. (laughs) Whereas I don't know what Ace and Tate sunglasses look like. And as much as I feel like 
Okay, great. You've convinced me that I need sunglasses. Have you convinced me that I need your sunglasses? Or is that, is that campaign more so for just telling people that they need to buy a pair of sunglasses, in which case, sunglass hut, here I come. Uh, why do I need Ace and Tate sunglasses? It's right. fundamentally flawed, that, that campaign, now that I think of it. However, the Moldy Whopper, it actually started as the you know, beautiful regal whopper. So you got to see the hero product in all its glory before it started to decay. So chef's kiss to that campaign. So good. All right, Katie, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I think I'd just like to share some encouragement in that, you know, creative strategy When you're hearing Mia and myself talk about it, it may seem, you know, we've been doing it for so long, but it's definitely something that we had to exercise. It's a a muscle that you have to exercise and and you can exercise it and you can be creative. So I would just want to encourage you if you're feeling like, oh, I'm not creative or I can't do creative strategy. You absolutely can. You just need to get started. Yeah. And also no one's going to love your business as much as you do. So you are the perfect person to do that and to in-house your creativity rather than to outsource it to people who, yeah, it might be their jobs to come up with creative ideas, but they're not going to have the same level of passion that you have. And passion is such an important ingredient in creativity, but also in business. I couldn't agree more. It's like driving. It's it's the wind in the sails of creativity. Passion is. So, yes. Yeah. Awesome. So it has been an absolute pleasure, Katie. Always, always, always a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm so looking forward to this upcoming intake of Campaign Classroom because you are one of our guest strategists delivering a workshop to our beloved Campaign Classroom students. And I know they're going to learn so, so much from your incredible brain. So I'll see you inside Campaign Classroom soon. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I will see you very very soon. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs and they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Fileman, on Instagram or LinkedIn and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.